Hello and welcome to Altamar, where every other Friday we together navigate the high seas of global politics. I'm Peter Schechter. And I'm Mooney Jensen. And we've all seen the headlines that the entertainment industry is in crisis, Peter. But really, what is happening beyond the headlines? Today, we are going to dive into the future of film industry with a look around the world and discuss the trends and movies and video that could shape how and what and where we actually watch content. And while we can't capture everything, all of the shifting dynamics of this industry's huge inflection moment, we will try to look carefully at the business, the politics, the global impact, and of course, the magic of movies. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So I want to talk about the magic of movies because the problem is I'm a totally old-fashioned movie buff. I like going to the cinema. I like the popcorn, the comfy seats, the big screen. I love previews. And it just all seems to be going against me because the entertainment industry seems to be going in a completely different direction. You know, it was already undergoing so many changes in the last few years, and now COVID has just exacerbated all of those. And these trends that started to take shape just exploded in 2020. And some of the trends clearly are positive, like more diversity and inclusion. Think of the Me Too scandal and how that brought to light criminal behavior in Hollywood that's changed, or at least hopefully is changing. But other trends are putting into question the viability of the entire film industry. If you think of the end of the box office and revenues and traditional viewing, the Oscars this year were the most diverse and unusual Mooney, but they also had the worst ratings in history with less than 10 million viewers compared to last year's 23.6 million viewers, which was also a record low. It's just amazing. And I do miss your weekly reviews of the movies that you'd watched over the weekend. So I hopefully there will be some theaters left open so that you can go back to that. But it is a moment of reckoning for the entertaining industry, that's for sure. And to help analyze what's happening and what we can expect. And in in, in as far as anybody can really predict these things, we'll be joined shortly by Silvia Bicio. Italy's leading Hollywood correspondent, a producer and a member of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And Peter, given your love of theater, one of the trends that would worry you most is that exactly what we were talking about. The traditional movie distribution is dead. There's so much news about theaters closing and new business models really raise questions in an industry where nearly half of the revenues come from people like you from box office sales. Those revenues are vanishing in this very streaming world. And there's new players on the table. We saw them at the Oscars and at the other awards. Peter, you mentioned Netflix snagged seven awards. Five years ago, nobody could anticipate that a streaming platform could actually even be in the running and let alone bring in so many awards. But monetizing streaming is really still hard and uncertain. Optimists believe that the blow the movie industry has been dealt will shake them into changing their revenue models, distributing the wealth more equitably and keeping customers happy. It sounds disruptive. It sounds a little bit exciting, but I find it concerning that streaming still hasn't found a way to bring in the revenue. You know, when I talk to people in the movie or entertainment business, you know, they talk about this streaming thing as something that's going to forever change production, distribution, and viewing of movie. I mean, almost as revolutionary and as world-shaking as the shift from black and white to color or uh, from silent to sound. You know, it's amazing. But I, the other thing, Mooney, that I find amazing is that we lived 
in an ever more globalized world. And that globalization is seeping into the movie industry. Hollywood is no longer, um, what should we call it? America first. <laughs> you know, we've seen Chinese and Pakistanis and Koreans and Mexicans and others all break through at the Oscars, both this year and last year. Foreign series and films have gone mainstream with viewers devouring shows. You know, I said that I love the movies, but I love The Money House, Casa de Papel from Spain, Borgen from Denmark, monarch from mexico and so on the documentary boom that's now seen on netflix or amazon prime or hbo plus you know has shed light on worldwide issues from very local perspectives and even as the budgets for these things for culture and for cinema have dried up with covid laptops and digital cameras have stepped in and produced some of the most incredible stories from faraway places and global viewing has changed attitudes open minds and eyes and we've learned new things through these documentaries. Yeah, but Peter, there's also a concerning side to the globalization of film, and it's that through streaming platforms like iQiyi in China that are rapidly expanding through Asia, countries like China have been putting out these patriotic blockbusters as part of the country's quote-unquote cultural diplomacy, and they're not the only ones. It has been used as a tool to sell like this kind of sanitized version of many different countries where that are actually not dem democracies. And it raises a cautionary flag that these non-democratic countries are selling propaganda as entertainment. For instance, Taiwan in 2019 blocked Aichi from streaming inside the country. So the landscape is changing. Some things are good. Some things are pretty concerning. And as we as viewers feel the market changing, just imagine the uncertainty of the big studios, Viacom, Sony, all the mergers that are taking place there, and the growth of new players like Apple, Amazon, and Netflix mushrooming and unabated. The industry, to put it quite bluntly, is in a turmoil. So let's hand this over for Thea who will tell us a bit about trends that are starting to take shape and the viewing patterns of younger audiences. For Altamar, this is Tia Steak and I am Tia Ivanovich. Uh, Peter Mooney, I mean, absolutely right. Streaming is the future. And as everyone knows, the national culture of watching the seven o'clock news, that's even before my time, or waiting for your show's new episode to air is gone. I mean, those days are behind us. Today, there are nearly 300 streaming services available in the U.S., and I bet everyone listening here is subscribed to at least three. Tweet at Altamar Podcast if I'm wrong and tell me about it. The on-demand nature of our current TV habits will only strengthen. Future TV will probably become an immersive experience for viewers. Instead of simply watching something happen on their screens, viewers will be able to participate in shows and have a chance to interact and potentially impact the outcome of the show. Netflix has already experimented with interactive content, including a recent episode of Black Mirror, where users' choices affected the dialogue and plot. So were you really into reality TV in the early 2000s? Try this. Virtual reality will allow viewers to step into a show and watch as if they're there themselves. Facebook, Google, Microsoft, all the big guys are among companies that have developed VR technology, and that will become mainstream in the coming years. So, of course, it shouldn't come as a surprise that the future of TV will also be shoppable, as demonstrated by Amazon's Prime's Making the Cut. So each week, people could watch the show and buy designs from the fashion competition that were immediately available for purchase. So what do you guys think about virtual reality TV or shoppable shows? Do you think that's really the future? Tweet at Altamar Podcast and let us know. 
So Taya's promising me that I'm going to step onto a beach in Tahiti in a documentary about the South Pacific. But how am I going to feel? Am I going to feel warm in the middle of winter? Anyway, the, the changes are incredible. And thank God we have Silvia Bizio with us. Her perspective is from all angles of the movie industry, and her view of global film is unique. She's one of the world's most prolific and professional journalists covering Hollywood. She writes for Italy's most important daily and weekly publications, La Repubblica and L'Espresso. She's a member of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, has written several books, and is also an artistic director, having produced an award-winning movie. Silvia is a true industry thought leader. Oh, oh, and one more thing about Silvia. She's been a dear friend of mine for decades, and I refuse to say how many decades. Welcome, benvenuta Silvia, to Altamar. Grazie. Thank you, Peter. Happy to be here and see you again. Talk to you. <laughs> so I guess the first question is about the Oscars. We just went through the Oscars. They were interesting and different. They were also not very well attended. So what did you think of the Oscars? Well, you know, Soderbergh and his team, what can I say? They've done what the best they could. Um, I must say, as a Los Angelina, the idea that uh, they took over the Union Station, uh, the parking lot in the front, uh, to create the atmosphere. I don't know if you've seen it, but they created a, a large um, area where... Uh, celebrities, uh, a maximum of 170 in attendance, uh, could uh, spend time, uh, sit uh, in small uh, um, areas, small tables, eat something, and then they were escorted inside the Union Station where they had recreated the soundstage for just a few people, few, uh, you know, for about an hour at the most at the time, and gone back and forth according to the awards. So. In terms of the logistic of recreating what was the Oscar in presence, they've done the best they could, and I cannot fault them on that. The problem was uh, with the Oscar show uh, that it became, as usual it is, uh, a bit slow, a bit boring, too many talks, too many, too, many, um, too many chats as opposed to shows. They decided to do the musical numbers in the pre-show, Usually the musical numbers bring a bit of, a, of excitement and fun to the Oscar show. This time it was all very verbose. Uh, some other, and that was visibly noticeable. And no wonder they lost almost 50% of uh, their audience rating this year. It was the most abysmal, the worst it has ever been in their, in their history. But then all the awards show declined in terms of attendance this year. Um, probably one of the toughest decisions was to change the order of awards. And instead of having the best film at the end, they decided to have the best actors, probably thinking that Chadwick Boswick was going to win posthumously the award, so end up in a very emotional state. And instead, Anthony Hopkins, who was not in attendance, won. And I think that caught everybody by surprise. So. That's in terms of the show. In terms of the uh, films, uh, uh, it was pretty much expected, what we all thought. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit. Let's move from the show to to where the industry is going. And, I mean, it, can it recover to pre-2019 levels? I mean, revenues have been dropping before COVID already. Streaming companies seem to be, like, taking over the market, like... 
like uh, Martians from out of space. Uh, what what does this mean for Sony and Paramount and the big studios? You know, are are they going to be eaten up by Apples and Amazons and things like that? Well, it's interesting. You're mentioning the only two studios who came out really well out of this year, uh, Sony and Paramount. Paramount actually increased 160 some percent of their revenues this year, and while all the other studios had an enormous decline. The only ones who really came out very well are, as you were mentioning, the streamers. There is no question about it. The decision of uh, Warner Media to go uh, to uh, Warner Brothers to give all their uh, products to HBO was criticized very much by a lot of people, including George Clooney, but then by some others. Uh, it was, you know, what else could I do? Where else could I go? Uh, the streamers are there and they're there to stay. And uh, they are definitely the biggest winners out of uh, um, this uh, COVID uh, lockdown, which saw, you know, 80% of the revenues of cinemas uh, just dropping completely. Will they come back to the pre-pandemia level? Some people say it might never recover to those levels. Um, keep in mind that ticket sales in theaters, they were already declining for the last 15 years constantly. So very hard to go back to even uh, the, the levels of 15 years ago. It will take another, according to most analysts, it will take at least until uh, 2022, 23 to get back to some acceptable levels. Silvia, it's just fascinating how this industry is in such transformation. You mentioned that how, how difficult it will be for movie theaters to kind of recover. We've seen them closing all the time, even in the past few weeks. But what about the revenue stream? Is there anything that will be as profitable as the box office? Even streaming doesn't seem to be a complete alternative. Well, uh, it's it's becoming so though. Uh, Netflix and Disney Plus are definitely uh, increasing their revenues. Of course, we're talking about revenues before the pandemic. They were like twelve billion dollars in America, uh, just as much uh, uh, or more in China, which is actually taking over. Uh, is now number one in terms of box office, and America is the United States and Canada is taken the second place. Uh, the streamers are figuring out ways uh, to make uh, money, not just with their subscribers, but also they reduce the amount of money that it takes to market and promote a film. And that is a major consideration when it comes to what brings uh, um, revenue in. Paramount, one of the reasons they were able to make so much uh, this year, and so Sony, is because they did decrease their expenses. Uh, um, movies, uh, traditionally for streamers, they have not been uh, uh, as expensive as some of the movies that have been promo uh, produced for studios. And again, that makes a big difference. So you just have to look at how much the chairman and chairman, because they're all men, so I say, <laughs> I say that knowingly. Um, of Netflix and uh, Apple's and Hulu made in the last year. It's you know, $40 million per a person, more or less. That's, that shows you how much those streamers are making. <laughs> 
It's a lot. And the revenue model has changed, but also the content has changed. We see less blockbusters. I'm still waiting for the James Bond movie. Many more documentaries and a huge appetite for documentaries, more diversity and representation. We saw this in the award cycle. Niche, sensitive issues addressed pretty openly. And uh, obviously the, the furor of these global series that are going mainstream what do you anticipate content will look like in the next few years and what will new generations look for? We all loved Casa de Papel, the money house. The, I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And this percent, or is that the way you pronounce it in French? I love yeah. that show. Yeah. And the Lupin, that's, we're all... Fantastic, yes. Fantastic. So yes, and zero, zero, zero. It's doing the Italian series about, you know, the cocaine uh, uh, trade and mafia. It, they're all doing very well. And that's a novelty compared to years ago when uh, audiences, especially in America, were never watching subtitles. Uh, this series all have subtitles. So the global production when it comes to series is definitely increasing. And we can certainly see more of that. We know that Netflix has opened uh, offices all over Europe, but certainly a big office in Rome, and they've been directly involved with TV series and film production in Italy. And they're doing that in other countries in Europe as well, and I expect them to expand globally. Um, in terms of uh, content, uh, the blockbusters are not going away. <laughs> and that uh, con will continue to be the tent poles uh, of uh, of the studios and Marvel and Disney. I mean, Marvel keeps coming up. I mean, look at Chloe. Chloe Chow, the, the director of Nomadland, is now directing The Eternals, uh, which is a huge, you know, really gigantic uh, comic book. So the comic book stories, uh, these big uh, um, shows, will, will continue the smaller films uh, will uh, have, as always, a tough time, and they will probably more go towards the streaming, uh, the streamers. You know, keep in mind that Netflix alone uh, last year or this year is making, is promising 70 titles in terms of films in a year, when all the studios combined <laughs> more or less are making 90. So you can see how they will be increasing. But that's so interesting that you say that because so what does even though the blockbuster is not dead forever, but what what does the industry, what do the big guys do to try to respond to this? I mean, clearly, as you said, Disney has gone to the streaming and Paramount. I mean, I watched the soccer Champions League yesterday on Paramount Plus. I wasn't I wasn't streaming on Paramount. Now I'm a subscriber to Paramount. So what do they do? How do they respond? But in fact, you're right, uh, you know, less and less people, at least here in the United States, are relying on the cable uh, and, you know, services uh, and going more and more towards these uh, streaming services. There is more of a savings. They get more quality uh, products. Uh, a lot of people say, why do I need to subscribe to 180 channels when in reality all I keep watching are 12? And sports was a major, major element of the reason why people were subscribing to cable. That dropped last year tremendously because when sports in live didn't start, uh, you know, stopped, uh, then there were no games uh, and a lot of people canceled their subscriptions. And I'm afraid those, I'm afraid, 
I'm not afraid because I don't have anything to really gain from that. But I think we will not see those back. We're not going to see a lot of those subscriptions back. It's calculated that uh, by next year, only, I don't know, 30% maybe of, of American households will have cables. So I think that addressed what, what you were saying in terms of, you know, the, the streamers uh, will need to provide also the kind of content that cables were doing before. Because that's so interesting, because that's one thing we didn't discuss in our introduction, which was how this is also bad for the cable industry and how they might be one of the big losers. So let's um, talk a little bit about different countries. You mentioned China before, so different countries are you know, growing in their capacity to produce content that everybody loves, and government budgets now are often targeted at politically convenient messages. And, and this is especially true for China that seems to sort of inject propaganda in a lot of what it does. Do you see politics growing more and more important in the industry? And and is this like going to be a race that countries that have money are going to be able to be politically influential more than countries that don't have money? I don't see that a lot, except for the case of China, for sure. Uh, in China, you know, only 30 to 40 film, foreign films are allowed every year there. They have an incredibly strong censorship and uh, to the point in which uh, they not only demand the censorship and cuts on the films that are uh, shown in China, but also throughout the world. In other words, uh, the American distributors are worried and concerned that uh, China might impose uh, cuts uh, on the films, uh, not just for the China territories, but for all over the world, like when they demanded the three minutes of uh, some gay scenes uh, from Bohemian Rhapsody two years ago. And uh, and now we'll look what's happening with Nomadland. The Nomadland, uh, and it's now uh, completely censored and is not appearing in China at all, opening in China, because the director had the say, made some comments on China several years ago. So, and in, in China, we know that that it's going to be always stronger and stronger the influence of the governments but you know and, but look at government places like italy where uh, the italian movie industry is always dependent uh, on the help of um, government and so is france uh, that does not mean uh, that these movies produced there are politically correct if we want to say they certainly do, you know because there is politicians behind that is always a favorite <laughs> but i don't see that affecting the content much well fortunately the countries that you mentioned are, are still democracies it, the concern there is obviously when countries are not and they use their budget for nefarious purposes through their cinema industry but i want to ask you about the film festival circuit which has basically been the place where the global conversation about film takes place you've been very involved in the very prestigious taormina film festival um there are so many others that are unknown to those of us who are not experts in the cinema industry we know Cannes, we know sundance but there are so many others do you think they'll survive will they be transformed and then who will participate in these festivals or who is actually participating in the virtual version of these 
has been tough. It's been tough for all the festivals. I mean, even Sundance this year. But Sundance, you know, happened virtually completely, and yet saw an incredible abundance of films and the audiences from far away. Toronto took place completely virtual, and a lot of people tuned in and saw the films. Um, of course, you know, the subscription or the purchase of the packages of the tickets was less than it used to be in person. But Cannes promises to be in person, even though limited this year in July. And I think it's going, they're going to go back. Festivals are a major, major element in the world, the cinema. Uh, people love to not only, in, in, it's not just the premiere, the glamour, uh, the, the, all the press going there and showing a film uh, and, and seeing a film together and interviewing actors. But also the market size, to be able, the, the ability to, to, to look at the film when it's still at the project level, that's really hard to do uh, when you have a situation only virtual. I, I suspect that by next year, when everybody will be vaccinated and hopefully open up again, the festival circuits will go back to, at least for the major ones, to go, will go back to being what we have known before. Sylvia, it's so encouraging to know that somebody as plugged into the industry as you are remains optimistic because we're afraid. Peter and I are afraid that it's the end of movie theaters, no more popcorn while you're watching, no more blockbusters, and, and basically it will all get very complicated. But it's it's very kind of encouraging that you that you still feel that way. But if you had to pick a list of winners and losers of this COVID era in the movie industry and obviously of the trends that were were preceding COVID, who are the winners and the losers of this transformation? Well, you know, as we were saying, the winners are definitely the streamers uh, and the losers are the theaters. But keep in mind that the, the end of the theaters and cinema was already predicted when the sound came and then when television came and it never happened. This year, okay, this, this is getting close. But I think the experience of, from everybody I talked to, the experience of going into a movie theater and seeing something with other people in the dark, uh, without the interruptions, with the popcorns in your hand, it's going to stay there. I think it's going to stay there more for the James Bond films of the, of the future, for the Wonder Woman, which, you know, if you see it at home... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it would have had a different effect on, on a big screen. Uh, for the Mission Impossibles, you know, how do you see these huge stunts? No matter how big your TV screens are, how big your surround sound is at home, it doesn't compare to a big IMAX. And in fact, IMAX is actually seeing its revenues going up. So I think it's going to be more of that. The big spectacle um, will, will come out okay. Silvia Vicio, thank you for reminding us of the magic of movies. It's been great having you in Altamar. Thank you. It's been great talking to you guys. Peter, the good news is that you will be able to come back to your movie reviews on Monday mornings. Uh, I will probably be able to watch James Bond in the new movie theater. And the bad news, however, is I do still think that countries that are far from democracies are going to use this transformation to really push out some propaganda messages and also to provide some censorship to the industry, which is a really negative trend. 
You know, I got to tell you, I'm so happy that because I'm still proud of the fact that I love the blockbusters and I'm not, I don't go to movies for their intellectual content or particularly depressing movies. So I'm delighted that uh, movie houses are going to remain. I, I'm not as convinced of Sylvia that there's going to be a lot of them around. And I was interested to see that IMAX uh, is doing better. But for me, it's the again the win the the gain and the winning and the increasingly monopolistic you know domination of our lives of the apples and the amazons and everybody who sort of knows our data is now getting our money from our entertainment it's i got to tell you it's a little worrying about how these companies are just completely dominating everything we do everything we watch everything we like it's concerning to me so with that we'll leave it and remember to listen wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us on apple podcasts and we'll see you next time mm-hmm.